Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table. My name is Mike Asbeck, and I'm here again with my co-host, John McDonald. Today, we've got a great episode. We're going to be talking about navigating career transitions. And we recently talked about AI, and we also talked about health tech a while ago when we had Matt Troop on. And we wanted to circle back around and talk more about people or clinicians that have transitioned to a career in health tech. So through this, we're going to kind of weave in our three themes. We're going to talk about career development, maybe talk about the non-clinical role of how to make that transition to health tech, and maybe we can even ask Lauren a little bit about career burnout and what working in a non-clinical role has done for that. But before we get to that, John, do you have an introduction for Lauren? I know that we haven't done a guest interview in quite a while. Today, we meet Lauren Curtis. Like the backstory of a Marvel hero, Her story starts in the bleak shadows of a lonely foxhole. They promised her action on the front line, but the reality of the battlefield was not the glory she dreamed about as a starry-eyed, fresh-faced recruit with grandiose expectations. It was in that place, staring into the battle-hardened eyes of the coupon-wielding juggernaut, that she entered into a war of attrition. This wasn't how it was supposed to be, but it was at that moment, as the darts flew from her customer's lips, that she would commit her life to whatever career saved her life that day. Unknowingly, technology was there the whole time, keeping track of her KPIs. Although Lauren was acquainted, even friendly, with technology, no one could ever guess this wartime epic was going to take an unintentional jibe and reroute down a rom-com-esque storyline. Lauren, it's great to have you here to tell us the rest of your story. Thanks so much, John. That was great. Happy to be here. Well, I want to start off because you are a fellow, uh, well, I guess I'm going to say the drug dealer that parents are proud of. (laughs) It's one of my favorite lines to use. And so I uh, take the pleasure in asking folks to come on who are in the pharmacy field. I mean, it's hard on LinkedIn because you see what you follow and a lot of what I follow is the pharmacy world. What happened in Lauren's life that brought her from what retail or hospital, because I've seen you post that before, we always had the options of just those two Mm -hmm. to where you are now. So can you give me a a recap, an overview of why these transitions were made and what you saw early on? Yeah. So um, I was was a retail pharmacist through Mm -hmm. and through. Um, I really felt um, from the moment I wanted to become a pharmacist, which happened back in college, I knew I wanted to do healthcare didn't really know what path. And then a pharmacist sort of changed my life freshman year of college. Um, I was getting really bad headaches uh, my, my freshman year and was prescribed a migraine medication. And the pharmacist was just so kind and spent so much time with me with all of the questions that I had. And like also the fact that this tiny little pill could help such big pain was like fascinating to me. So I was hooked. Uh, the pills actually 
didn't didn't work like I wanted them to, but the concept that they could have um, was was really fascinating. And so, um, a community was really where I saw my my heart um, being in pharmacy. I, I thought that I could have great impact there. I loved the idea of building relationships with people over time um, that were local to me, and so went to pharmacy school, went right into community pharmacy and really started building those connections as I had expected. Um, But I think as we all have heard, working at a big box retail pharmacy, um, it lost its luster within the, the first handful of years. And I, you know, the first moment that somebody walked over for a consultation and had a question and my reaction was like, ugh. I really don't have time for this. Oh yeah. I, I, I just knew like I, this wasn't, I, I don't, I had to go. Um, mm-hmm. And it was really upsetting, you know, like that is exactly what I wanted to be doing. And it was the one time I had no, or the one thing I had no time for. Um, and it was just really clear that the business was not interested in the same things that I was interested in. Yeah. So um, that's sort of like the beginning of my burnout journey. Sure. Um, also at the time I was about to have my first kid and was like, what, I, I wasn't sure what kind of life that was going to be, you know, I'm working nights and working weekends and working holidays. And I wanted to be there for all of those moments and, but didn't really know where to go. So sort of serendipitously, I, I, I was just on Facebook and through, um, an old preceptor of mine found out about PillPack. It was mm-hmm. a, an online pharmacy that was relatively local to me. Um, I immediately felt drawn to the mission and was like, well, if I'm going to leave, I, I think this is the place. So that's where I landed. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it, I mean, that part was pretty, pretty simple, actually. Um, it, it made sense. It felt aligned with all of the things I wanted to do. And uh, quite honestly, this was in 2014 mm-hmm. online pharmacy space was like non-existent. Yeah. It was mail order. It was retail. Um, and the thought that I could be a part of a startup as a healthcare professional, like was mind boggling. I was like, this is my chance. This is the one and only, this is never going to happen again, which is so funny now. <laughs> They're like a dime a dozen. Um, but I joined there as a, as a clinical pharmacist and I was answering the phone, talking to people all day, counseling them, which is exactly what I wanted to be doing. Okay. So you went into uh, really an environment that nobody really knew about. Uh, I don't know if you felt like it was risky at all, but at that time, PillPack was the big player, but that, that was before even Amazon. I just, I'm curious to know where you went from there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Yes, I knew I was taking a risk, but the risk just felt like the risk of any startup. Um, I didn't, I wasn't like, I didn't really think I was joining tech, to be honest with you. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that this was a cool company and they were, they were local. Like I could commute there, but I would still be helping people all over the country. And so it was like a bit of a telehealth play, but like a, that space didn't even really exist either yet. Um, so to me, it was about like having a little bit of broader impact. I was I was now able to help people 
outside of just my community, but still doing all of the things that I loved. I didn't know that a non-traditional path was a possibility once I was there. I thought, okay, great. Now I'm a pharmacist here and I'm going to be happy doing this. And I was, um, I certainly was. But what happened was um, I was working in our customer experience department, again, answering those phone calls, talking to, to patients. And when you work in that type of environment, you see all of the potential points of failure in a process. Um, and so, you know, we were doing a great job as a business, but I was seeing some things that could be improved. And I also saw that nobody was working on them. So I kind of pitched myself to my boss. I was like, um, I, I'm seeing a lot of things that need like some project management. Do you think that I could take some of these things on in addition to what I'm doing? Because I think that that we could solve some of these problems and and like lower the volume of calls that we're getting. And he was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So started, started doing that. Um, and I don't want to say that the only route is to like take on more work than you can handle. But I, it was like, sometimes working at a startup is almost like the vibe is so crazy that it's hard to explain. Everybody is so mission driven. It didn't even feel like extra work. It just felt mm. like this is the right thing to do. So I'm going to do it and I'll figure everything else out. So I started doing this project management and eventually was just like, yeah, so the clinical calls are sort of taking a backseat. Can we hire somebody to do those? I'm going to keep doing the projects. And luckily our director of ops was like super supportive. Um, and that's kind of how it started. I wasn't like, I'm going to take on a, a non-clinical role. Um, it was just a natural progression of another way that I thought that I could help patients in that environment. And again, like broaden my impact. I saw yeah. that I could fix problems for lots of people. So when, when I'm sure there's been people reaching out uh, here and there asking, how do you get into tech? And I think the knee-jerk reaction for anybody looking is, okay, I need to learn how to code. What code should I learn? What language should I learn? And I'm not hearing that at all from you. Yeah, no, I don't know how to code. I don't know a lot about computers. What I do know is that if we want to fix healthcare, we need to create really great patient experiences. Yeah, And that's my passion. And there are a lot of other great people that can turn that passion into code that builds an experience yeah. mm -hmm. and I rely on them. So, yep, you're right. I get that question all the time. I, I don't know any code. Mm. So here's, here's my question with that in, it sounds like I'll use your word. You said you kind of fell into the pill pack job serendipitously for people that may be wanting to make the transition. And I think the fact that you are not a coding expert is a great example because if you had started your journey and said, I want to be in health tech, maybe that would have been a barrier that would have dissuaded you from pursuing this career. Right. What advice would you give to other people, maybe other clinicians that are interested in taking a non-traditional path, but maybe feel intimidated because they don't know how to code or they don't know enough about technology. They, they feel like they're stuck because I think so often in medicine, especially as clinicians, our training is so hyper-specific. Mm-hmm that we feel that we don't have skill sets that are applicable outside of our clinical role. So what advice would you have for those types of people? Yeah. Um, one of the first things that I have people do, because this question comes up a lot, um, 
is to actually just do some research on the companies that are out there that are striking a chord. Like there's hundreds of companies trying to solve lots of different problems. And I think what can get people really excited is if they find a handful that are solving problems that they personally really care about. Um, you know, if you love working with diabetic patients, look for a company that's that's doing that. If you like women's health, look for companies that are doing that. And then I think once you get on board with what the mission is and what their goals are, then going to look at the types of roles that they have um, is a good start. Because I think one of the things that I see is to this point around coding is that people go in and start looking at job descriptions and they're like, mm -hmm. I don't know what this means. All of this is like gibberish. And they do start looking at things that imply that they need to know how to do SQL and they need to know Python. And I'm like, no, those mm. are just the wrong job recs. <laughs> Unless mm -hmm. you want to learn to code, which is totally a valid path too. But if you're looking at just using your clinical knowledge, um, there are a lot of other pathways. There are operations managers, project managers, program managers. I'm a product manager. Um, and so looking through to see kind of what the different titles are and what the responsibilities are starts to give people a general sense of how to then apply those titles to all sorts of other companies. But I think that like getting a sense for some companies that you're really passionate about and narrowing your search is one of the best ways to get started because otherwise it's extremely overwhelming. I think many people are looking at LinkedIn or Indeed for these where have you directed people or where have people shown you recently? Like, oh, I found some positions at this odd place uh, that isn't so blown up. I don't know if I have, I know any like under the radar secrets. I have just started a newsletter. And so I'm posting some job recommendations there for people that I'm sort of handpicking. I signed up. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, tr I'm trying to handpick some that I think um, have like a clinical, could have a clinical focus. Some of these businesses don't know that a clinician would be helpful in the role, right? So it, you may not see that in the job description. And so what I'm trying to do is, is curate a few that I think might be good for people. Um, but also there's um, like Health Tech Nerds has um, a newsletter that they put out with yeah. a job board that's really good as well. Um, but I have found just that the more you get started, so I, I use LinkedIn mostly for this type of yeah. thing. The more you get started with using one platform, seriously, the better the results are tailored to you. Mm -hmm. You know, I it's funny because I see only health tech companies in my results when I'm searching for people now. Yeah. But people that are just getting started are like, I don't, I don't, I'm getting all these like fintech businesses. I'm seeing all this other stuff, and I'm like, just keep keep searching. <laughs> it's the algorithm. If you have TikTok, you yes. guys know what this is. <laughs> Just keep spending your life away from your family and kids, uh, hide <laughs> in the bathroom, take longer than normal until you get yelled at. Uh, that's that's my <laughs> that's my recommendation. So, okay. I want to back up just a little bit before we move into some other questions because I'm sure we, we talked about the successful transition that you kind of didn't really expect that you were making this uh, unintentional move. Were there any challenges, setbacks coming out of what I assume to be a big box retail position that strikes a chord maybe with other people or maybe they've experienced it? 
we want to commiserate with you, but also give hope that no, there's stuff on the other side of yeah of the challenge. Um, so when I first when I first transitioned into uh, the the role at PillPack, a lot of a lot of things really translated, and I think um, that's because it was still a fulfilling pharmacy. So a lot of the guts of the operation were really the same as what you do at a community pharmacy. You know, we were still filling prescriptions, transferring prescriptions, calling doctor's offices, all of those things. Um, So that part felt really familiar to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Pieces that started to feel unfamiliar um, were when I started taking steps outside of the traditional path. And so before going down that path for just a moment, what I'll say is for others that are looking for roles in health tech um, and have similar backgrounds, um, similar to what I was saying about finding, you know, finding some companies that resonate with you from a mission perspective, um, you should also really look at how they are set up, right? Like they might be more of a marketplace, they might be telehealth, they might be a fulfilling pharmacy, they might provide care. There's all these different avenues that are becoming a little more niche. Um, and so definitely I would suggest putting yourself in a position where you feel comfortable with the model and you understand the model and how it is different or the same from what you're you're coming from. Um, and that always helps too when you're speaking to it in an interview. Um, but for me, I at least, I felt really comfortable with, with the setup of the organization. The, the friction points really came when I started trying to do some non-clinical work. And of course, there were some people that were like, why do we need a pharmacist to do this? We could we could hire a project manager. Pharmacists are expensive. I heard that a lot. And it's just so funny to me because all of these people working in big tech make just as much, if not more than pharmacists. So like, why were we talking about how expensive pharmacists are? So as an aside, because I want to add to that, I know people personally that I grew up with who are in uh, health tech roles or even just med tech or general tech support, even customer support um, folks uh, that are making more than a maybe even regional uh, Mm -hmm. manager for these big box retail. So I'm saying uh, not sub 170 or 180, like some of these guys are making that amount and have a bachelor's degree at most. Super important for listeners, I think too, because that's one of the questions I get all the time is like, oh, I want to do this, but I don't want to take a pay cut. I have student loans. It's a myth. I mean, sure. I I actually did Mm -hmm. take a very small pay cut when I first started. uh, And that's, that could be expected based on Mm -hmm. the, you know, the phase that your startup is in if, if you join a startup. But it resolved itself. It all worked out in the end. And what you're saying is exactly mm-hmm. right. So I, I know that I took it out um, of what, we, I mean, the path we were going down and we were talking about, you were stepping out of non-clinical roles to to go into these places that usually were just maybe a tech individual, maybe an MBA and you're too expensive. So did, so did you have to prove yourself or did you have to prove your worth then? Or Luckily... I mean, I, I highly recommend that anybody make sure that they have like a good advocate within the organization that, that they're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, I had that on my side, luckily, um, but I also had like already done the work and had already proven it. 
Um, and so at that point it was like, well, sure we could hire somebody on, but like Lauren already knows all the background. So we'll just keep letting her do it. And it felt like it kind of just kept happening like that. Um, because there were a couple of different points in time where we would go through restructuring and it would come up again. Like, do we really need a pharmacist to do this? Um, and so, you know, what I tell people is to my point earlier, people that are hiring in these roles don't always see that having a clinician could be the best choice for them or is of value to the point where I've heard people tell me that, you know, I'll, I'll use PharmD as an example, but this could be any degree, obviously. They'll tell me that they're ready to remove it from the resume because they think it's hurting them. Oh, wow. And, and I mean, I think part of that is it's clear that that the public doesn't know what pharmacists do or are capable of. And, you know, I still always get the comments like, oh, I didn't know pharmacists were doctors or had to go to so much school. <laughs> um, but that really hurts my heart to hear people feel like they have to, like, quote unquote, dumb down their resumes to get a job outside of their their traditional scope. So if we have people that are dumbing down their resumes because they're trying to get out of a clinical role or they're trying to pivot into something different and they feel that their clinical experience mm -hmm. is a detriment, what are some things that in your opinion, now being on the other side, being in health tech, what are some things that they can highlight from their clinical background or clinical training and experience that can be brought forward or emphasized on their CVs as assets? So, yeah, I will yeah, first say if this wasn't clear, I am absolutely against people removing this. It is a part of <laughs> right? yes. yes, let's all go it's on the record for that. Are. Yes. You bring value and it is not it is yes, unfortunately it is your job to sell it. Um but like, that's why we're all doing the work that we're doing too, right? Like I'm very passionate about making sure that the word gets out so that this doesn't have to be so hard for clinicians. Um, but I, I see this happening in, in, there's two different paths. So the first is like, if you want to get into health tech and you want to do a clinical role, obviously keep it in there. You have to have your, your license. You have to be registered to do the clinical work. Okay. So there's that. If you are sure that you want to go non-traditional. You then have another two choices. You have you could go to a, a company that knows that they want a clinician in the role. They, you see it in the job rack that this is a preferred requirement, right? Like maybe it's not maybe it's not a must have, but it's a nice to have for them. I would target those companies. In fact, the company where I am now um, was felt very strongly that they wanted a clinician in this role. Um, and so I, that really resonated with me. I knew that they understood the value of having a clinician and that becomes an easier conversation. If you are looking at a job rec that doesn't mention it, then it's up to you to sort of sell it and figure out how to position your strengths to exactly what they're, they're looking for in that job rec. So whether that be, you know, to, to our point earlier, um, just that basic knowledge of how the healthcare system works so that they don't have to bring somebody on who doesn't know about it and have to start them up from scratch. Maybe it's personal experience with patients that have that disease state. I think one of the biggest things that I find is that people that are in hiring roles seem to not understand how clinicians can translate their one-on-one -on -one work 
to larger populations. And that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of what I do as a product manager. I'm building experiences for a, a broad group of people, yet we still want them to feel personalized because I truly feel like personalization is the future of healthcare. And I think clinicians need to figure out how to translate that. They're very used to working with like this person, this specific problem, this solution, and they need to be able to get the word out about how we think about public health and how we serve populations more broadly. Um, I think that would really help tell the story during an interview. When you had to collaborate with a tech expert, maybe what were some successes and failures you saw with that and coming out of it? What was the net benefit? So I will say that although I am a huge advocate of having as many healthcare professionals in health tech as possible, we also need some outsiders. And so what you gain from, from working with someone on the tech side um, who maybe doesn't have healthcare background is an amazing outside perspective about why things are the way they are. And a good, a good product manager will be able to pull this out of clinicians too. But even if you're working directly with a great engineer, they are not just coding. Like they want to understand what they're doing and why it's important. And so they'll do the same. They'll try to pull this out of you. And so they're asking, they're like, I don't understand why is it so complicated? And you're like, uh, that's just the way it is. But you have all of these really robust conversations about how we got to where we are and which pieces we can start like pulling the threads on and which pieces are like, no, we don't touch those things. Um, so those are the great conversations I've had with engineers and other product managers. Um, really like starting to like push the boundaries of, of why healthcare is so darn hard to fix. <laughs> I think you bring up such a great point there because you're, what you're alluding to is essentially disruption. And obviously we know that the tech industry is famous for their mm -hmm. really aggressive disruption. Love that word. Yes. Break things yeah. and move on. <laughs> but in healthcare, we don't do that, right? It is truly, it's, well, that's the way it's always been. You know, fee for service. Well, that's the way it's always been. As tech becomes more and more of a role within healthcare, what kind of disruption do you see tech potentially playing? And certainly, you know, you can just pontificate on what your thoughts are, but where do you see the future of this integration of health tech and, you know, overall healthcare going in terms of that disruption? Well, I think that one of the things that tech companies bring this may not this may not be a sweeping comment across the board, but there is more transparency depending on the the type of product, right? So, a lot of my past it, it, in tech companies has really been in the e-commerce space, is what I would call it. So, I didn't really get into the details of like, yes, PillPack got acquired by Amazon in 2018. I had been at PillPack for three years, and we were sort of immersed in this more e-commerce space, and one of the one of the good things about that is it forces you to look at healthcare in a completely different way around healthcare people interacting with the healthcare system as consumers um, or customers, which can sound to some healthcare professionals as like a really scary prospect. I think the nice thing about it is that consumers have choice, customers have choice, and that's really the lens that some of these tech companies are looking through. Like if 
people were to have a choice, what would they want to be doing? Let's break the rules about how they interact with the healthcare system. Um, I've since moved away from the e-commerce space. Um, and in my role now, um, it really is about building, it's still about building experience. And back to what I said earlier, it's also about building personalization. So I think that's what tech brings. I think we can all agree that some of the experiences in healthcare are just poor. And we would expect better out of booking a restaurant reservation. <laughs> you know, like there's so much friction in healthcare and and you, we, we don't put up with it in any other space. Mm -hmm. I mean, may I interject and say that anytime I've worked with IT in doing anything or tech in anything, it's the the barriers always been, mm -hmm. well, that's HIPAA and it's going to take forever because of the regulation. And that has been such a speed bump in moving forward because mm -hmm. we're all nervous about HIPAA. We're all nervous about breaking HIPAA. And not only that, like you said, Mike, we break things and move on. If you have a breach of HIPAA, it will sink your company potentially. Yeah. So I understand it. But this is where we come together and say, not that we risk that, but we have to find a way around that because everybody does have a better experience buying Olive Garden online rather than finding out did my doctor even send this prescription? Did the pharmacy get it? Is my insurance going to pay for it? Who's going to let me know? It's all these customer questions. Uh, I I didn't really think about it from that lens before, that this becomes a customer experience and they have choice. As, as much as we say healthcare, uh, the patients have choice, we are just finally coming to that with these insurances having to give more broad coverage to uh, pharmacies and different uh, hospital systems. So the world is is your oyster in, in the health tech field. So I'm excited for it, but uh, I don't want to derail what Mike's question was in that moving forward, the pontification of what this can become in the future, I'm hearing is focusing on the choice that customers are making and capitalizing yeah. on that. I I believe that, yes, but I think it's, I mean, obviously it sounds a lot easier than it is. You know, we, we want to just build a great experience, but mm. <clears throat> um, I, we have to build the right guardrails because people aren't used to this choice. And it can be yeah. overwhelming. Um, and so I, I think that's where some of these, like where all these point solutions have popped up. Like, it is really easy to say, like, we solve this very specific problem. And people are like, I have that problem. Maybe this is for me. It's easy. But yeah. then we've just created a bunch right. of point solutions. And we're just making it harder for people. <laughs> like, who wants to interact with, like, 50 different apps mm -hmm. for their all their medications and each ailment and for each provider? It's, it's super overwhelming. Um, that piece... I don't think tech is going to solve for anytime soon. Like it's, it's just getting worse. Is it integration then we're talking about? Are we talking about uh, universal access to EMR systems? Like a lot of these AI companies are starting to uh, promote saying like, we want to be able to share 
patient information across state lines, across uh, different EMRs, and even to the outpatient settings, ambulatory, PCP, retail, so we can all get the right I information. I think at, at its core, that helps both providers and patients, right? Like we would all love that. Yeah. But then we, mm-hmm. we deal with the fact that that sounds scary to people. People don't want their information shared. When you were mentioning all these different roles, uh, product manager, uh, customer support, um, mar- even marketing, e-commerce, all these different roles, can we take one, two, or three of them and yeah. discuss what that actually means? Product manager, especially. like People hear that. It seems such a broad, general term. What does that mean for someone like us? Yeah, I had no idea. I'm a product manager. I didn't know what that was five years ago. <laughs> Right, like I I joined PillPack and a product. Like, sure, there we ship a physical product. I did not understand what what that meant. Um, so today, <laughs> I understand that product managers at their core are really problem solvers, and that means managing the customer experience, solving for their pain points, listening to them delivering solutions in a in small iterative ways um, to overall improve the experience over time. It also sometimes means making big bets on huge features um, and launching like really innovative things. So as a product manager, I am I'm focused on building the digital experience for our patients. I also help build the experience for our clinical team. So I'm building the tools that they use to help our patient population, which means it, I, that is a really specific role that could be handled by a clinician because they truly know the pain points of having to open seven different tabs and have three different monitors all to get one answer mm-hmm. and to have to copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste in multiple different places to log things. Um, and so there, there are a lot of roles that would serve clinicians as their customer rather than patients as their customer. Um, and that's just one of the the things that product managers can do. So we're ta- when we say customer, we are talking at the patient base, not like a B2B well, uh, customer. That's what you're referring to. Spe- I mean, I guess specifically in your role. Uh, yeah. So in my role, um, our business is technically a B2B to C product. So we sell to employers and then mm-hmm. the employers allow the solution to be brought to their employee population free of charge. Um, and so when I say customer, I use that pretty broadly. I could also mean stakeholder within the organization. So that means you know other team members, other leaders. Um, customer can mean our clinical team, customer can mean patient, or customer can mean um, our, our employer clients as well. Um, so broadly, I use the term customer to say, anyone who the business is serving. Um, and I think this this point of confusion is funny. Um, it, I, I often like preface when I start talking to people about that I don't know this world at all, that they will hear me using the word patient and customer a little interchangeably. And this is like a hot topic in, in healthcare. And uh, I th- we talked about it earlier, but um, I know that I mentioned like the word customer to me and and the companies that are well-meaning when they say it really are trying to to impart choice on on the patient. 
um, and not trying to treat them as just like somebody they can take money from. So just want to give a little plug for, for those businesses that are using this word in, in the right way. Um, but yes, I use them a little interchangeably. So thank you for asking. <laughs> All right, Lauren, I've got one final question and then we'll start wrapping things up. So if you had some final thoughts or could condense everything that we've talked about into just one or two things, if there's a clinician that's listening to this and maybe they have no interest in tech, maybe they are still complaining that they don't want to do EMR, they want to be on paper charts, and they think that tech Mm -hmm. is making healthcare too complex, tech is making healthcare whatever, what would be your advice for that person that is maybe anti-tech? Is there anything you would say to them? I think... I think the way we have approached tech in the past has made people's jobs more difficult. I completely acknowledge that. But I also acknowledge the fact that if we don't have clinicians integrated into the solution and there from the beginning, we're just going to keep creating technical solutions that don't serve their populations. We have had people creating solutions for clinicians without their input, bringing to them and saying, here, I've solved your problems. And it's like they weren't heard at all. And so this is one of the reasons that I'm I'm hugely passionate about making sure that clinicians know that they don't have to think that they're technical to be a part of this. Um, and to your point, like working, just working on EMR, um, that's, that's a part of this too. It's not just like Amazon and Google, like there's tech happening everywhere. And we need to infuse clinicians if we're actually going to solve clinicians' problems. And it's really the only way that we're going to scale. I would love to have you back on and dig deeper, even maybe even go a little bit more broad with how other healthcare professionals have been integrated and what teams you've worked on and where you've seen other successes. Of course. So I would love to have you back on. Uh, in the meantime, though, I want I would love for you to plug your information, uh, your newsletter, where people can hear from you. And I know you've started some of your own uh, outreach. Um, Yeah, people can find me on LinkedIn. And there I link out to everything else. Everyone can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I post there relatively regularly. Um, I also have a a newsletter, as I mentioned, that I just started. So giving some bite-sized information about health tech as a career, career advice in general, as well as some interesting job postings that I find. Um, And I'm also on Instagram, TikTok, all the places, but uh, LinkedIn is pretty much the hub. I will say, because I've noticed that I think we all of us here are probably not regrettably on TikTok, but maybe are (laughs) hesitantly on TikTok. It is. Yeah, It was new for me and it's been really fun. Well, I, I'm watching and I'm following. I, I love what you're putting out. So I, I encourage anybody listening to go ahead and actually press that follow button, not just connect. Thanks so much. Uh, a lot of good information there. Excellent. So as we always do, we're, we're going to transition and finish, Lauren, with some personal stuff. And the reason we do this is healthcare, especially as a career, can be all-consuming. And we never want to lose our humanity within our career. So we always like to finish with some things that are going on in our life, something funny, something interesting, something you're reading. Who wants to go first? Dude, I will go first. I think I've got a pretty good one. So I was at work today and I got home and my wife goes, uh, well, you want to know what your son said to your your mom today? Because my parents were over. 
uh, which is always good. I mean, I could say ridiculous things, but he goes out of the blue. You know what? I don't ever want to get married. I can't wait till I have my own house and I can be alone because all that wife's do are tell you to stop playing games and they just want to talk to you. It does. <laughs> what in the world is this coming from? Um, uh, transitioning to the fact that my thing that I'm doing is playing games. I haven't played video games in quite a while, but my kids were getting into it. So I downloaded an online gaming platform called GeForce and I have been, it started out just with Fortnite with my kids and I get on for a little bit. It's now gone to like some of the old games I used to play and I am digging it. It's like totally if I'm having a day and my wife knows, I'm just like, you know what? I'll go upstairs and take a little time to play a game. Well, Lauren, do you have one? Um, so something fun that's going on in my house right now is that my husband and I are replanning our trip to Hawaii that we had to cancel in 2020. Ooh. And so this is my way of beating burnout, people. Health tech, sometimes you get unlimited PTO, just saying. And uh, and we're finally planning the trip. So we're, we're planning all the excursions and we're watching YouTube videos on like the road to Hana and we're going to eat all the food and it's going to be so relaxing. Yes. So you sound like you're a, a hyper planner too. Yes. Yes. That's half the fun. I, I love hyper planning for vacation. That's awesome. Mike, what, what about you though? So you're, I'm sure you're planning five trips to camping and trying to get me to go, but what else are you doing besides that? Yes. Earlier today, I called John to badger him about a camping trip that's in August. Because of course, you know, <laughs> yeah. I have to talk to him about the seven months out and really start making sure that he knows. <laughs> I think the concern, this, this is not my personal item, but John, I think the, the thing here, it's a like a father-son camping trip we do every year. And I'm trying to get John nice. to go, but I think he's hesitant to go, but he doesn't want a parent. He doesn't want to be responsible mm. for the kid. Yeah. So vacations for me, Lauren, are, I tell my wife, wherever we go, I don't want to see a kid smile. I don't want to keep see it here to laugh or giggle. They don't exist in this world for a week. Yeah. So my camping trip is, is not bad. conducive to that. That's the problem. No. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. So my personal item, I'll take a different approach. I'm going to do something sad or, or cool, I guess. So yesterday I fell down and scraped up my knee real good, ripped my pants. And what happened, I was carrying my two-year-old in and I had him like on my hip. And he was like flailing around thinking that he was being funny and it was a little bit icy out. And I took a step oh. and my two-year-old flailed right as I was taking a step and I just slipped and I went down and completely subconsciously without even thinking about it, my reaction was I like rolled my body to protect the two-year-old. So he was completely fine. That's he was crazy. giggling the whole time. But by doing that, I landed, you know, pretty pretty aggressively and ripped my pants and I was bleeding all over the place. Oh my goodness. So I know it was bad. So my takeaway was twofold. One was I'm getting old because I just fell down steps and it hurt and it, you know, took me a while to recover, but also that just our instincts and our reaction times are so incredible that even without thinking about it, I was able to protect my kid in, you know, no conscious thought, just a reaction that happened. So I guess uh, good and bad all at the same time. This has been wonderful. A great experience talking to you, Lauren. Thank you for coming on. And everybody listening, this is at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, she set up late to talk to us about this. So we really appreciate your time. Uh, we do value it. Uh, we had a lot of fun joking, but sincerely, we do appreciate so it. Thanks for having me. Uh, for everybody listening, we're...
Yeah. And we're going to have you on again. So stay tuned, everybody else. Uh, but for the time being, we are going to go head over to Offscript, talk about something a bit more personal. Uh, so come on over there if you want to. Uh, for everybody else, you can catch us at whitecoatsoftheroundtable.com. You can get us over at Patreon. We're on all the major social media platforms, but we have the Starbucks gift card giveaway. Please go take a look at our platforms. Drop a comment on what you think we should cover as a topic. Uh, and maybe you want to come on as a guest. Uh, please post that as well. And we will be drawing those prizes soon. So we look forward to seeing over there. Uh, again, this is White Coast on Table. John McDonald here with Mike Asbeck and our great guest, uh, Lauren Curtis. Go check her out and have a great night, everybody. Mm-hmm.